Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. to bring design closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and trainer based in Dublin City, Ireland. Bringing Design Closer is a podcast dedicated on shining the light on the complexities of embedding design within organisations. In this episode, I speak with Chris Gray, a former content moderator for CPL, a service provider and content moderation service for many of the large tech businesses. Now, we speak about Chris's experience moderating for Facebook and what that looks like on a granular level in terms of processes involved in a day-in-the-life type conversation. We also speak about what led to the final days of Chris's employment with CPL and also what followed for Chris in terms of the impact on his life that resulted in Chris taking legal action and bringing Facebook along with many others to court. Now I should point out that there are topics in this conversation that may act as a trigger for some people so if you are also listening with children this may not be appropriate so let's get straight into this episode. Chris Gray a very warm welcome to bringing design closer how are you? I'm good mate how are you? Not so bad. We're both going through the the throes of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic at the moment. But today we're going to be discussing more um, around your your background. So maybe tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what we're going to discuss today. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, I was working for a company called CPL under contract to Facebook uh, here at their uh, main headquarters in Dublin. And I spent my days looking at all the uh, the content that people have reported for various reasons and deciding whether or not to leave it up on the platform. So what what did your role involve when you were in CPL? And basically, I would go down to the Facebook building and log into my computer and sit there all day just looking at one video or photo or, or written content after another. It's just this like never-ending stream of stuff that somebody has found objectionable. Uh, and then you have all these rules and regulations and reference material to look at to make decisions about it. Mm. So for anyone who's listening and you're using Facebook, you know, if you see a piece of content there that's that's in your, your feed or your stream and you, you don't like it, you know, and you report that, the, the team that Chris was on was the people that had to make that decision of whether that content was going to get pulled down or stay on the system. Is that correct, Chris? That's right, yeah. And it could be absolutely anything. You know, it, I, I even would get people reporting pictures of puppies because they don't like animals being bought and sold. So, you know, you have to you have to look at everything, even though mm. uh, nobody to really worry that it's on the platform. You know, and then obviously there's the much more extreme stuff as well. Yeah. Looking at puppies all day might be a dream job for some people though, Chris. <laughs> well, the first few weeks it was naked ladies, actually. I was working on the uh, the global photo pornography queue, which was mostly quite fun (laughs) so i'm sure that was uh you know an an interesting kind of conversation about trying to make those kind of calls porn and naked photos are not allowed on facebook is that right 
Well, I mean, this is the question of moral injury that, that you'll mm. be to make decisions that you personally disagree with. You know, so I would be looking and saying, oh, nothing wrong with that, but it's broken the rule. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. You know, you, you can't show me that online. So how do they determine that? Because like it's, you know, I actually saw uh, an interview the other day with Anthony Kiedis, you know, from the lead singer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And mm-hmm. not many people realize but when, when they did um, the Super Bowl halftime uh, show a number of years ago, they had something like 55 complaints because Anthony Kiedis was showing, he always sings topless. So uh, people took offense to the fact that there was a topless man on, on the uh on the Super Bowl. So how does Facebook get around that? Like, you know, is it volume? I, I, I have no idea how they make the rules, but there does have to be a rule. There has to be a, a definition of, you know, what is okay and how we how we measure that. So, I mean, the question of nipples is a good one. Male nipples, female nipples. What about breastfeeding? What about um, women protesting about sexual exploitation and the right to own their own? You know, the context, the the amount of flesh that's being displayed, how clearly can you see the nipple? Is the, is the nipple partly obscured or not? You know, you have to have detailed rules about all of these things. And I do pity the poor bugger that has to make these rules. Yeah. But what's the whole point of the rule system in, in Facebook and CPL? Because is it trying to create a whole kind of unified, you know, singularity way of, of thinking? Because Surely you can't please everybody. Well, obviously, nobody ever explains anything like that to me. You know, my job is just to implement the rules. I'm not supposed to bother myself by worrying about what the policy should be or what the thinking behind the policies is. Uh, but what I, what I think is that they're trying to get consistency. You know, if you report something that you don't like and I delete it and then it comes up again, and you report it again, and the next person doesn't delete it, then there's no point having content moderation if, if you're going to change the rules every time. So you really do need to kind of lock this down, that mm. this is what's okay and this is what isn't. And then, I know this is hard, but they're trying to have one set of rules then for the whole world, one global right or wrong. Yeah, which isn't good because, you know, this certain content is good to you know create conversation and create topics and you know otherwise we'll end up with a very bland looking world which is kind of what you know if you follow those kind of rule structures that a number of very exclusive and more than likely non-diverse and non-inclusive kind of minds are, are looking at it's it's not a good thing but oh, yeah, yeah. it's interesting that the people who complain most about having their free speech taken away are the ones who want to say things that a lot of the rest of us find offensive. So if you compare it to something like Monsnet, you know, a, a website for generally women, family-oriented people, then you won't see those those kind of of opinions and extreme content being on display you know the, the amount of moderation that's needed is much less but it's the the combative people the people who like to win arguments the people who think that you know there are much stricter definitions of what's okay and what isn't they they will push the boundaries they will want the right to say things that many other people will think are not really okay yeah it's it's a, a bit of a slippery slope if it's not managed correctly though 
and it's it's a slope that you know you and in, in turn inherited those kind of the increasing rules and as they added to the um the kind of i suppose the, the social conversation that was was gaining pace in the last number of years and facebook was trying to respond to that how, how did you see your role change at cpl over the years from when you started to when you ultimately left well i mean i talked with people that were there in the very early days when there were a handful of guidelines and the decision that you would make would be to ignore the content or to delete it when it was that simple and when i was there that had expanded that there were probably 10 or 12,000 words of densely written text saying what was okay and what wasn't and hundreds and pages of reference material and when you make a decision that was a very granular process so there were literally about a hundred options to choose from. So, okay, you, you get naked people. Well, okay, we're going to delete that because it's nudity, uh, subcategory nipples or subcategory penises. Hang on, no, that's an erect penis. No, that's not an erect penis. You know, and it just, you're into this insane level of detail um, and they're organized hierarchically. So. You know, if you've, if you've deleted because you, you noticed the nipples, but you didn't notice somebody's bare bomb, well, maybe the bare bomb ranks higher on the hierarchy. So now you've made the wrong decision. Yeah. So your quality score comes down and you're in danger of getting fired. And I was talking to somebody recently that is still there. They told me there are 250 options now. Wow. So 250 so options, that's more than a pilot. They, yeah, they just keep adding new rules every time something happens that some new special interest group gets upset about. Then you get more rules. And I, I just don't see how that is sustainable because it's it's beyond the, your capacity, your mental capacity. You don't have the bandwidth mm. to, to put all this in your head and make lots of decisions very quickly. So when we spoke initially, Chris, you mentioned that there was a 1% or maybe it was a 2% success rate or fa- failure rate in terms of making the right decision on those, those content. How would I well, describe 2% it? was permitted. You had, to be, you had to be correct 98% of the time. You had to be correct 98% of the time. Now, walk me through, you know, how, uh, say, a 100 or 200 sort of decision matrix and making the wrong decision, that surely has an impact on being able to uh, sort of effectively process things, but also on your your mental health? In terms of the processing, very often it's a simple, simple choice. You know, if if I say I don't like Irish people, well, you know, that is clearly hate speech against Irish people. There's no thinking required for you to say, okay, that's not good. And I would say maybe 90% of the time, you would very quickly make a decision. It only takes a few seconds. The problem is, of course, though, that sometimes you, you're kind of on autopilot and you, you get the obvious violation. Yeah. And then you realize afterwards that, oh, wait a minute, there was something else that's, that's further up in the hierarchy. Mm. Well, um, an example would be the naked ladies. Well, if people are using naked ladies to get you to go and visit their website and hand over your login credentials, you know, spam yeah. phishing, then that's a completely different violation. So, 
you know, am I deleting for Nate for bare nipples or bare bonds when actually, you know, I've, I should have been deleting for um, identity theft. Yeah. So that's already, you know, and then multiply that a hundred times once you once you get into much more diverse content. So yeah. that's challenging. It is challenging, but if you have to deal with, say, like a hundred or I don't know how many tickets you'd have on a night, and some of them aren't all, you know, black and white, you know, many of them I'm sure are going to be in the middle, and you have to make that decision, and you've got a potential kind of uh, success or failure rate going against your your job and your your safety of your your livelihood, that that creates a lot of a lot of stress and uh, uh, allows you yeah, to yeah yeah you see now the, there are the tickets that you you get and you can see it's a problem and you don't know what to do and you end up having all these discussions and come walk through that so, say you had a you had a you had a piece of content that came in that was a little bit um, more difficult to um, to define if this was something to be you know taken down or allowed to stay on the network. Walk me through what you had to do in that instance. Well, it could be very time consuming. You know, you'll start and you'll look at it and then you'll maybe look at the hierarchy and say, okay, so, you know, this is not spam, this is not child abuse. And you're looking through to see, okay, maybe it fits into this particular category. And then you find something that you think might fit. So then you go and look in detail at the rules and you know, even the placement of a comma can change the meaning of something so that it suddenly becomes violating or not violating mm. you're kind of often having to interpret context of of something and then finally you reach the decision no you know i think that's okay and then you carry on working down the hierarchy looking for other categories where it might be violating and then you can just find yourself just really not sure so maybe you ask some colleagues you'll we have a group chat, so you'll type into the group chat chat, you'll put the ticket number. You might get three or four other people looking at it, giving you their opinions. Very often the opinion will be split. And literally there's nothing you can do at that point. You just have to pick one, pick an option, yeah. and go with it. And there's really there's nothing you can do. We would post then we have like a Facebook group, we'd call it a tribe. And you would post a description of what your thinking is and the ticket number. And by the next day, you might get an answer to that, but it's too late. It's only useful for future reference, but at yeah. least, you know, some guidance. It's it's very similar to um, the police trying to trying to police society and going around and enforcing. No, because the police have a lot of discretion. They do have discretion, but also if the they person have, who... They have they, discretion, but they also... How many decisions do they make in a day? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good 600. Point. You know, one every 30 seconds. 600? And how long are the shifts? Six hours it's, or eight it's, hours? It's, it's an eight-hour shift. So you wow. know, you've, got, you've got a bit of admin to do. You've got some emails, yada, yada. So maybe six hours of work. Okay. So some of them are you know, being processed. 100 an hour. One every 30 seconds. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you're dealing with lots of content very quickly and trying to make that kind of decision um, and basing it off a, a rule book that I guess is, is getting bigger by the day like you know oh, it's it, getting bigger it's also being tweaked so so every two weeks there'll be a policy update mm. they'll change rules that you've been implementing and I've had days where you know I've made a decision on a Tuesday on some content and then on the Wednesday they've changed the rule and then on mm. the Thursday the Friday I've been audited 
and the auditors applied the new rule. Yeah, it almost seems like you know the the title of the role, content moderator. Moderator would sort of you'd assume that there was some level of power to be able to make a decision because you are a moderator. You're actually controlling the situation, but it seems like we're not, we're not moderators. The, the job title is community operations analyst. Okay. So, so no, there's no discussion about moderation at all. Okay. That's just that's the popular understanding of the job. The job is to apply rules and to pass sentences and to process exactly what you see in front of you. Yeah. Very so, robotic. It's a very robotic if, approach to a human problem. If you're in a discussion with somebody online or an argument and you say something they don't like and they report that, all I see is your comment. I don't see what the person said before you. I don't see what you're trying to rebut. I only see your comment totally out of content. Yeah. It's it's almost as if you're being set up to fail. Like you haven't been given the tools to do the job. Like and you've been given some tools to do the job, obviously, but like you haven't been given the bigger picture to be able to make an informed decision. I, I think you're being treated as a cog in a machine. It's it's being treated as an engineering problem. Yeah. There's a thinking that we can apply rules and algorithms and systems and you know each of these people will do that little bit of processing that we don't have an AI that can do that yet. Um, so we'll have to use these little pre-trained neural nets called community operations analysts um, yeah. and they will then implement the, the system for us. But that's yeah. how they think about it. So let's, so surely, you know, people working for CPL and Facebook, you're not the only one who, who will have expressed some sort of like, this is quite a difficult job to do. Like, you know, it's very hard to get a 98% success rate every week. What was the, the kind of communication from CPL and Facebook ultimately around how they can actually improve the situation? No, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't ever bring problems to the table. Don't, don't ever question the system. It, this, is, it, this is a command and control situation. And I think it starts mm -hmm. with the way that Facebook is structured as a, as a share company. Mark Zuckerberg owns control of the voting shares. And whatever Mark Smart gets, and he gives instructions, and then you know the next level of people go and implement these policies, saying you know Mark wants this and Mark wants that, and there's no argument, and that percolates down, so that we're at the bottom. I can negotiate with my auditors about specific decisions that I've made, but I could not have any kind of a conversation with anybody about training systems or rules that weren't working. You, you can't give any feedback. Yeah, it's interesting because I get in my notes here. I've got a um, a quote from from Mark Zuckerberg on this actual problem, and um, some leaked audio from an old staff meeting where he said that the working conditions and companies' moderation centers as being a little over dramatic. Um, <laughs> I think he was actually referring to the criticisms that had been made in the press. So you know, I take that personally because it's me making those criticisms. Yeah. So. He, he said, from digging into them and understanding what's going on, it's not that most people are looking at just terrible things all day long. It would be interesting to see if Mark Zuckerberg has ever actually sat down in a moderation center and tried to do the job himself. I wonder. Well, I mean, in fairness to Mark Zuckerberg, he's very, you know, this organization is too big for one person to know what's going on in every corner. He's dependent on what he's told by various people. Hmm. And 
you know, every person in that scene has an incentive to paint a picture that makes them look good. Yeah. But this problem has been growing for such a long time. And it's, it's you know, from when we were speaking initially, we mentioned that the content moderation team grew from a team of 10 to how many thousand people now? Well, at the last quote I heard a couple of weeks ago, he was in Germany. He said there were 35,000 people employed by Facebook doing this. And that's just Facebook. You know, we have YouTube, TikTok, and, and Twitter. And yeah. all the other. So you, you could say that, like, he's Mark's obviously a, a very, very intelligent person, but, you know, the fact that there's been an attempt there to hire 35,000 people might show that there's, there's, a, there's a bigger need, so, and these problems aren't going away. So I, I was just asking purely, I wonder, has Mark Zuckerberg ever gone into these centers and actually examined what might be going on himself? Well, from what I've heard from people that are still there right now, it's very occasionally you'll get somebody coming from Facebook to you know to see what goes on, and the the whole building becomes this hive of activity, and everybody has to clean their desks and look look happy, and you know you have to put on a brave face for the client. So somebody mm. like Zuckerberg, it it would be like a royal visit. You know he's going to have his yeah. home to going to be all these chains of people all desperate to ensure that they look good. Everything's going to be sanitized and protected. He's not going to he's not just going to walk in anonymously and, and shadow people doing their normal job. Mm. I, I don't think he would ever be able to do that. Yeah, to get an, uh, an effective and accurate evaluation of the real world, I suppose that's that's a really, really good point. So when you were at CPL and you, you obviously would have raised some of the, the issues that you were seeing in terms of uh, being able to do your job effectively. You know, uh, ultimately, you you left your job at CPL. Walk me through what happened after that, Chris. Well, let's just walk through how I left, shall we? Because yeah, okay. I, I was trying to frame it in a way that did you want to. <laughs> I'm trying to be very well, personal. You're, you're asking me this question about giving feedback, and um, I, I'd given some feedback to the senior person on site who was actually very receptive. This was the senior CPL person. And he was quite pleased that somebody was actually telling him the truth. And he acted on a couple of recommendations that I gave. And that was the last time I ever saw him. He vanished from his role the next, like two days later. He literally was never seen again. Um, he, 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 he left his I don't know what happened. Nobody will tell you anything. But I do know that the whole evening shift was you know, really struggling and underperforming at the time, and my team in particular. Um, so the various changes were implemented. And, and you know, I kind of felt, wow, this is great. Somebody's listened. And then I was accused of resisting the changes. And it, it seemed like somebody knew had, had got some drama. So just normal, you know, office politics bullshit, basically. And uh, eventually I, I tried to talk to my team leader uh, just to clear the air, smooth things over. And I was really upset and emotional and just could not deal with, with a kind of a minor confrontation. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of started to realize already that I was having you know, emotional problems, mental health issues. And this, this really kind of shocked me. And, and I felt like I was, I was going to be eased out as a, as a result of this. So I went and talked to my 
regional manager. And I was very, very calm. I really prepared myself very well. And I just went in and said, look, we've got this problem that my whole team is not reaching the quality standard, has not been reaching the standard for six months, and you've been providing all this additional training for months, and it's not working. And I have 15 years' experience in education, adult education, designing courses and so forth. And I said, you know, at this point, we have to just look and say, well, instead of saying that these people are not doing their job well enough, maybe we have to look at the training systems. Is there something we can do differently? And the answer was, well, no, if you can't reach the standard with the resources that are there, then you really need to start looking for another job. And two weeks later, I that one. <laughs> you know, not one choice to be out. I was, I was led out of the building. So yeah, you, yeah, you've given some feedback. You've tried to be constructive. Uh, and anybody that's trying to be constructive just seems to get pushed out of the door because they're challenging the status quo. And you know, my poor team leader, <laughs> who wasn't equipped or trained to recognize that I was under a lot of stress, he yeah. wasn't recognizing the danger signs. He just perceived me as a problem. And then yeah. he asked me, and he was embarrassed and stressed about doing that. Just a cogging machine. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of pressure, you know, to, to deliver hyper-accuracy to their client, you know, Facebook ultimately, because that's kind of what, what were needed. But Right, but basically Facebook have defined what success looks like. Yeah. In, in a way that, that then puts us into this incredibly stressful situation. They, you know, the huge cognitive load of interpreting the content is compounded by the near impossibility of reaching the quality target. So eventually you'll just become obsessed with, you know, how can I make a decision that I can justify to an auditor? Yeah. And, and, yeah, and it's all to conform with these rules but you keep changing the rules. And if you keep changing the rules, surely that's because the rules are not perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a huge opportunity there. There's a huge, huge opportunity that, you know, Facebook, CPL and the content moderation team, they, they're on the ground. They're seeing things at the, the granularity and uh, a conversation and feedback loop would would do so much in terms of... Um, being able to improve the process, improve the situations, but it just doesn't sound like there is any It would work if you have the ability to make change, but you don't. You have 35,000 people yeah. locked into a process. Can you imagine trying to change that process? Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm guessing that what's happened is that 10 years ago, this started to become an issue and somebody said, oh, okay, I'll have a look. I'll put together some rules or some guidance and yeah. look at a subcontractor in to implement them. Yeah, mm-hmm. They see it as a call center job and they've applied kind of call center thinking to this with very, very simple measures of success. And then something else has happened. So they've had to make more rules and they've had to get more people and it's kept getting bigger and bigger. And now yeah. there's a team of people who've just kind of found themselves doing this work. Yeah. And they've got an empire and, 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 you know, huge budgets and massive share options and a huge vested interest in keeping on doing what they're doing right now. 
Yeah, I suppose the, the more people that they sure. add to the situation, and they can then point back, you know, to people in Congress and say, "Well, listen, we've hired more people. We're trying to tackle the problem." You know, when really the you know that's not the actual you know the main problem. It's it's actually the stuff that goes on in the network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, their solution now is just more of the same, more of the same. We, yeah. We're going to keep trying to improve what we're doing. It's like petrol-driven motor cars. We're going to keep on improving the efficiency yeah. of building electric cars. Yeah, it's it's so true. So, Chris, I just want to chat a little bit more around, around the content. Like, you know, obviously you've had you've a lot of exposure to the content that you've seen on Facebook, but how would you describe what you've seen? Like, you know, give us a snapshot of, you know, obviously you mentioned puppy dogs and some nudity and stuff, but is there... Um, like, how does it make you think about humanity? You know, you, you've, oh, you've almost no, seen behind the curtain. People are awful. People are awful. I think the, the, there's the disturbing content, the terrorism and the graphic violence. Mm. And you know that's going to be shocking and you think that you can prepare yourself for it. But one of the things that really got me done was just the banal nastiness of so many people's lives. You can imagine, you know, Dave and Diane are married or they're together and they have a kid and then they separate and one or both of them has children by a previous relationship and one or both of them is an alcoholic or a drug user or something and they get into an argument and then somebody's mother gets involved and all this stuff is going backwards and forwards and they're not highly educated. They don't write in full sentences. You get 500 words stream of consciousness without a single punctuation mark. And they're all using the reporting tool as against each other. And you get this whole argument in, in drips and drafts, one line at a time, not in order. You have no idea what's going on. And you have to pass not not every sentence, every clause in every sentence, every every you know verb object combination. You have to look at that and apply these rules to it. And it's just depressing having to think in detail about these sad, angry little lives that some people have to lead. It really brings you down. And then you get people being unloaded off a truck by men with guns and they're lining them up by a trench in the ground. And, Shooting stuff, yeah. Waiting for the shooting to start. And, and, yeah. yeah. And then you get puppy dogs and it's all right for a minute. Or, or, or you get nasty racist jokes and you laugh at them before you delete them because, you, you know, this is your world now and your humour becomes very dark. Yeah. Well, what would you like to see um, CPL and Facebook do to try and improve the situation? Well, we've got content moderation in general, but then you've also got, you know, over time, this content does really affect people. There's, I, I think you get depressed from some aspects of it, and then there's the trauma side as well. And I think they need to recognize that this is real and they provide proper support for people. I mean, I'm, I'm in court. I'm taking Facebook to the high court to make them acknowledge that PTSD is real. Yeah. That, that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Just turn around and say, okay, you know, out of 35,000 people, we recognize that some of those people are going to be 
um, harmed by stuff that we want to take down off our platform because it's harmful. Yeah, so they've got to do that and start making provision for people to get the proper support that they need. And then I think we need to recognize that the working environment makes it much, much harder to cope with that stuff in the first place. You know, PTSD is linked to feelings of powerlessness, to being unable to, to take action, to protect yourself, to, to deal with difficult situations. And if you're constantly under threat and under attack over quality scores and stupid office politics and so forth, then you're already in a weakened state. You're already much more vulnerable before you even see the content. So you mentioned there about your um, you're taking the court to the the high court, or you're taking your case to the the high court. Where are you at in the whole process of taking Facebook and CPL to court? Well, when you phoned me, I was actually sat answering a list of questions from Facebook's lawyers. Uh-huh. Um, it's still very early days. You know, we we filed the writs, and then we go through this whole process where the, the lawyers ask a bunch of questions to clarify matters, and we start to put together the case, they start to put together a defense. There's, we have to go through the whole process of discovery now where we request information. So, for example, you know, how many hours a day or a week did I spend looking at penises or, or terrorist content? Or how many items did I mark as graphic, graphic violence, for example? You know, Facebook has all this data. We need to obtain this. We need to quantify what we're exposed to. So this is going to take a long time, and of course everything's slowed down right now anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It's has, a there any, situation. has there been any Facebook response to either your case or how they, they handle moderation feedback like this? Um, oh yeah, I mean, people within the company have obviously asked Mark Zuckerberg directly about it, and he's said that we're just being overdramatic. The Facebook PR machine puts out all of these statements about how they take care of us and they take this stuff seriously, yeah. which is either a blatant lie or, again, you know, information is being filtered and the, the people who are making these statements genuinely believe what they're saying because the truth is, is hidden from them. But it doesn't sound like anything's improved on the shop floor. You know, I had an yeah. email somebody a couple of weeks ago telling me that, you know, even their toilet breaks are controlled now. They have to account for every moment of every day. Wow. So the response has actually been to tighten, tighten this command and control mentality. Wow, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy situation. Like, and it's, it's such an old school um, way of thinking for a new world problem. It's, 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 it's hard because, to believe. Um, there's a marketing guy called Seth Godin that you might have heard of, and he talks about companies being stuck. You know, this is what we do. This is the way we've always done it. And there's too much inertia, too much resistance to change that you're not open to new ideas. You know, I think his example is why do the flight attendants show you how to fasten the safety belt? You know, there's no need for that. We, we, could, we could all get along fine without that. But this is what we've always done. And to take it away means taking it away from someone and they're going to fight to prevent that. And I think the same thing is happening within Facebook. I think that the organization has is married to this one solution and is not open to alternatives. I think Bruce Lee said, if you're married to one outcome, then you're dead. 
Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that one before. I'm a big Bruce yeah. Lee fan of back in the day. It's it's a crazy situation. Chris, if, if people want to reach out to you, like I know that we, we do have listeners in San Francisco and in Facebook and definitely in other large tech companies as well. If they're suffering from this, what advice would you give them? Oh, I'm not qualified to give medical advice. So, yeah, yeah certainly in Ireland or Europe, you know, the first step is is your general practitioner, your local doctor, and they will. You know, my my doctor, I burst into tears in her in her surgery when when I was finally. It took me a year to realize that I was a complete mess, and um, I went to see my doctor, and you know, I literally just cried my eyes out because this was the first time I'd ever talked to anybody. You're not allowed to talk to this stuff. Then we're under this omerta, you know, this vow of silence. We sign these non-disclosure agreements that we're never going to talk to anybody about what we do at work. And breaking that, getting out there and, and acknowledging that you've got a problem is, is the first step. And then, you know, from there, you're into trying to find the right kind of therapy or counseling that's going to work for you. Yeah. Yeah, but if know, are, that's really where you need to go. And then, yeah, yeah talk to the lawyer. Yeah, you mentioned, I can't remember, is it Foxglove, the name of the... The yeah, there's a group in London called Foxglove, who are a nice kind of intermediate step. You know, maybe, maybe people are a bit nervous about going to see a lawyer right now. But um, Corrie Crider in London, she's a, a, a great campaigner. She's supported by various social organizations in the UK. She works closely with Amnesty International, uh, who are taking a big interest in this case, because there's the question here, of, you know, your employer is putting you in harm's way, knowingly. So that's a yeah. human rights violation. So yeah. she's she's very clued in and she can connect people with various different resources and, and represent you with the media and so forth without you having to take that big step yeah. of committing to a lawyer. But then, you know, my lawyers in Ireland are great. They, uh, they're helping me out with the financial side. You know, nobody has to worry about what's it going to cost me to sue Facebook. That can be taken care of. Um, you can come and talk to them. They're very, they're very receptive. They listen. They, they've never pushed me to take action. They, you know, they don't. They don't. They're not there to sell a service. I found them very good as well. Okay, so I'll I'll put a link to Foxglove's um, website and details in the show notes. But Chris, it has been wonderful to hear your story. Thank you so much for for taking the time to share it. If anyone wants to reach out to you, how might they do that? To me personally. Yes, sir. Um, okay, so my name is Chris Gray, G R A Y. I am the real Chris Gray. So if you email Chris at therealchrisgray.com, then uh, that should come through to me. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It was really good. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world or join the HCD newsletter where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen to any of our other podcasts such as Getting Started in Design, Bringing Design Closer with myself, Jerry Scullion or Power of Ten with Andy Pallane or Decoding Culture with Dr. Dr. John Curran, Prod Pod with Adrian Tan, and Ethnopod with Jay Hasbrook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.